right? I don't, I mean, we don't give all that, you know, what we view as extraneous detail. But we're digging into this genealogy because in the first century, genealogies were part of your identity. This showed who you were based on where you've come from. And we dug into the genealogy that Matthew wrote. Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples. And he wrote a genealogy, and it's, it's a little bit different than the one that Luke wrote. And within that genealogy, he mentions five women. Now that's significant because in the first century, women didn't really matter. Nobody really cared. You could be some awesome lady, and you still probably wouldn't be in a genealogy. I'm sorry, that's just not the way they operated. So it's odd that Matthew included them in the genealogy, and we're going to get into that in just a minute. Now, if you read through the Bible, there's a boatload of stuff that it's like, well, that's kind of weird, right? And it's okay to, to recognize that. So we're going we're gonna to look into this and say, okay, well, if, if genealogy had to do with identity, and Matthew kind of knocks over the, the, the apple cart of normal and it includes these five women in the genealogy, what do these women tell us about the identity of Jesus? What do they tell us about who Jesus is? So we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book in the Newer Testament. First book in the Newer Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to look into Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read a little bit of that genealogy. Give you a second to turn there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning is a very good place to start, right? Seems like that's in a movie somewhere. Any Sound of Music fans here this morning? I used to, it seems like every year that you would play that on TV, right? And I mean, I, I grew up, my dad's musical, <clears throat> we, would, we would always watch The Sound of Music. It was great. So, there we go. We're going to start in the very beginning because that's a very good place to start. Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, so right out of the gate, you know, we talk about identity. Matthew is saying, this is part of who Jesus is. He's connected to David, right? Arguably the most famous king that Israel had. So he says, that's part of his identity, right? Oh, also, he's the son of Abraham, which if you go back into the book of Genesis, Abraham is this old dude, right? He's married, he's old, his wife is old. God shows up to him and says, I'm going to turn you into a huge nation. And Abraham is like, okay, like I don't have any kids, I don't know how this is going to work out. But he does. And that's where the Israelites came from. They're, they all stem from Abraham. So, he, so Matthew is writing, hey, he ties back into him. He's one of the people. Right? He's, he is a child of promise. And he continues, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. You were here last week. Ryan talked about Tamar and Judah and kind of that whole kerfluffle. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nation, Nation, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And that's who we're going to talk about today. Second woman that Matthew lists in this genealogy 
if you've grown up in church, maybe you have some associations with Rahab. You think, oh yeah, the whole Jericho, the wall thing. And that's, that's exactly right. That's why we know about Rahab. So I want you to turn to the book of Joshua, <clears throat> chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua is the sixth book in the Older Testament. And to kind of set the stage as you're turning to Joshua chapter 2, Moses, the famous leader of the Israelites, the guy who led them out of Egypt into the wilderness, Moses has just died. Joshua has taken over the reins, leading the Israelites, and they are preparing to enter a land that they've been waiting for for hundreds of years. Back when God made that promise to Abraham, he said, hey, you're going to have a bajillion kids. Also, I'm going to bring you to this land, and it's going to be awesome. So they're right on the doorstep, ready to go into this land. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up the story. So we're going to go to Joshua chapter 2. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. I'm sorry, I jumped over part of that, didn't I? I turned it too soon. So they went into the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land, which is why they were there. He sent a couple of spies. So the king was very perceptive. The king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Hey, bring out those guys who came to you and entered your house, because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. Even though I don't know which way they went, go after them. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she, Rahab, went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard, let's say that all together, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Here's the deal. Right before this, the Israelites didn't walk out of Egypt, come up to the Jordan River and be like, hey, let's go spy out Jericho. No, they've been hanging out in the wilderness for 40 years. So this was 40 years ago. And Rahab is saying, hey, we are all melting in fear because we heard that 40 years ago, God did this stuff for you guys. And what you need is Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. Those, those names always made me chuckle when I was a kid. Like Sihon and Og. Like who would name their kid Og, right? That's horrible. Whom you completely destroy. If you've named your child Og, that, it's all right. That's, that's my opinion. Okay? If you, I, I don't want to judge. <laughs> when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God, in heaven above and on the earth below. 
This is a culture that worshipped a variety of gods. I mean, idol worship, paganism, that was the norm. But she says, no, you know, we have heard about your God, and he's the one. He is the God. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So in this narrative, we are introduced to Rahab. And again, she's mentioning the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus. So we want to look at who she is. And this is, this is what we know about Rahab. She's a what? She's a prostitute. Now the word that we translate prostitute, uh, it might mean that she is, I mean, that's what she did for a living. I mean, she was a, a career prostitute. It could also mean that she was a morally loose woman. Or to put it more crassly, she was a whore. I want everybody this morning, I want you to say that with me. Say whore. I heard some enthusiasm up in here. This is, this is great. Okay, front row peeps out. I want every, one more time, everybody say whore. Alright, so... Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know about that. I don't know, I don't know if are we, are we supposed to say that in church? The other day I was talking with Ryan and Patricia, and we were, we were kind of talking about this series, talking about this message. And I said that, and I, I said, wow, I feel, maybe it's cause I'm, just because I'm in church, maybe, maybe not, but, but when I say that word, I, I feel kind of dirty. I feel uncomfortable, right? It's like, wait a second, some of us might feel uncomfortable saying that, that's what Rahab lived. So it's a word to us that, ooh, maybe we're a little bit uncomfortable. That was what she was known as. Elsewhere in Scripture, you read, and that's, that's always, I mean, Rahab the prostitute, or depending on your version, Rahab the harlot. Rahab the whore. You think, well, that sucks. I mean, that's not the... I wouldn't want to be known. You know, that's not the kind of reputation that I would want to have. Have you ever had a reputation? Maybe something at one point in your life. Something characterized your life. And you've carried that reputation with you. Maybe you've changed. But there are still those people like, oh yeah, I know. I know you. And they're like, no, really, that, you don't. You don't. They say, oh no, yeah, I've heard about you. And you have that reputation. What about nicknames? Does anyone have any great nicknames? No. Seriously. Come on. Does anybody actually, anybody, nickname? I've got a bajillion of them, okay? So I, I told, what was that? <laughs> One more time. <laughs> there you go. What else? What are some nicknames you guys have? I told first service, I'm going to have to just start, okay, after service today, everyone's going to line up, and I'm just going to start assigning 
nicknames because this is ridiculous. Come on. Nobody has any nicknames. I've had several over my life. Probably my, my least favorite is when I, was, when I was a kid, the guys that I hung out with, they called me Monkey Boy, which I, I, never, I never got, right? Because I'm, I'm a very mild-mannered individual and, I mean, just super even-keeled. Like, I, don't, I think they were, they were just jealous. So that's, you know, they called me Monkey Boy out of spite. Fortunately, you know, I don't go by Monkey Boy anymore. That's not the kind of nickname you want to carry into adulthood. And please don't start calling me Monkey Boy. <laughs> I had a moment of vulnerability there. Don't use that against me, please. <laughs> but these things, they characterize us. And this is how Rahab was known. She was the town whore. Yet she makes it into the genealogy of Jesus. So we say, well, well, what does she show us about Jesus? It's really cool as you read through Scripture, sometimes we, we think, oh yeah, just somebody sat down one time and they just wrote a bunch of stuff out. But the Bible is fascinating. As you read through different authors, which there are many different authors of the Bible, it's really sweet how that was put together over centuries. And it's still so consistent. But the authors use different literary devices. They use different, you know, sometimes poetry, you know, things like that. But as you read through this portion of the book of Joshua, they, they write it in such a way that points to what the central theme of that passage is. And in the case of Rahab, that central theme is what she says to the spies. She says, the Lord is it. He's God. All these other deities that the people in Jericho worship, they're nothing. Your God is the God. That's the central idea of that passage. It's her profession of who God is. And then we find out that she is saved. Later, a few chapters later, we see that. The Israelites come in, they take over Jericho, and Rahab and her family are saved. That's her reputation. Yet her profession of faith and the ability of God to save her Saved her. So what does that show us about Jesus? That Jesus saves us based on what? Our response to who is. Not based on? Jesus saves us based on our response to who He is. Not based on our reputation. The spies didn't go into Jericho they, they're hanging out at Rahab's house. And she's like, hey, your God is awesome. You know, everyone is terrified of Him. I want to be saved. They didn't say, well, turns out you're a prostitute. And before we can guarantee you are saved, uh, we would like, let's say six months. Six months clean. Stop sleeping with people. We'll come back in six months. We'll do a follow-up. 
See how things are going. And if you've, if you've got all your stuff together, we will save you. No! She said, your God is God. I want to be saved. They said, okay! Jesus demonstrates this over and over again. If you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as you watch Jesus interact with people, He doesn't say, hey, as soon as you get all your crap together, come hang out with me. Matthew, the guy who wrote the genealogy that we looked at earlier, Matthew was a tax collector, right? We might not like the IRS, right? We might be like, oh, taxes, uh. I mean, maybe you're not. Maybe you're like, yeah, I love paying taxes. And that's all right. That's all right. But tax collectors in Jesus' time were way more, way more worse off than, you know, we might be like, oh, taxes. They despised tax collectors. That's what Matthew did for a living. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were excluded from worship. They were effectively cut off from God. Because the people in charge, the religious leaders said, because of what you do, you cannot have fellowship with God. You can't go anywhere near Him. You cannot participate in worship. Because you do this for a living. We don't want none of that. One day Jesus shows up at Matthew's tax booth. And He says, Hey, Matthew, come on. Matthew says, okay. And he does. And he follows Jesus. And he goes on to be one of the 12 core disciples that Jesus has. And he writes one of the biographies of Jesus. And he's the one that includes the genealogy. I think that Matthew includes these five women who, from one perspective, shouldn't be here. Because Matthew, looking at his life, looking at what he had done prior to following Jesus, looking at how he was received by the religious leaders, Matthew could look and he could say, I shouldn't be here. He says, I was cut off from God. They told me because of what I did, I wasn't good enough. And he says, you look at all these, all these women who shouldn't be here. He says, they're they're just like me. But despite what I did, Jesus shows up and He says, come with me. And Matthew is saved. In Jericho, everybody responded to God. Everybody in Jericho had heard all of these things. Rahab talks about the Red Sea, you know, how they you know, kicked the snot out of these kings, Sihon and Og, you know, all these different things. Everyone in Jericho had heard the same reports. And everybody in Jericho responded to God. The trouble is, with the exception of Rahab, everybody in Jericho responded in fear. And they hid. They said, well, <laughs> we don't, leave us alone, leave us alone. Close the gates. Lock the doors. Hide under the bed. But Rahab says, no. He's God. And He can save me. I want Him to do that. In the same way, everybody on earth, one way or another, responds 
to Jesus. Maybe your life could be characterized by some of these things. Maybe they're earned, maybe they're not. Again, sometimes we have a reputation and it's not actually based in reality. But none of us are perfect. Maybe maybe we'd say, whoa, if you knew what I did, Jesus wouldn't let me in. My life, I'm not good enough. Maybe that's your response and you say, because of who I am, because of what I have done or what I do, I'm, I'm cut off from God. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. He says, you're the reason I showed up. Right at Christmas, we talk about, oh, hey, you know, Jesus was born. Which is great, but the whole reason He came was to save us. And He went after the people that nobody else thought deserved it. He said, hey, I haven't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. All the ones that don't think that they're good enough. All the ones that, hey, this is my life, this is my life, this is my life. He says, no, I, I, I came to save you. So if your reputation is what is keeping you from following Jesus, you don't have to worry about that because Jesus doesn't save us Based on our reputation, He saves us based on our response to Him. And some of us respond differently to Jesus. Some of us, our response is indifference. Maybe you're here today because you got dragged along or you've got a friend here, but really you've never given a whole lot of thought to Jesus. And that's a response. Say, well, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know what to think about that. I'm busy. I, I, I really haven't devoted time to it. Maybe you're kicking the tires. You know, you've, you've been kind of checking it out. You're like, yeah, my friends keep talking about Jesus. I'm, I'm looking into it a little bit. Maybe your response is rejection. You say, I don't buy it. This whole Jesus thing, that's, that's great for you. I don't buy it. Maybe your response is hostility. Maybe because you've had circumstances in your life that have driven you to the point where not only... Do you not buy into it? But you want to make sure that everybody who does believe in Jesus knows how ridiculous they are. If any of those things are you, we're very glad that you're here. You are always welcome at Radiant Life. Because those are, those are responses to Jesus. There are others of us who responded to Jesus by saying, Jesus, you are the only one who can save me. And I'm going to trust you to do that. And then we seek to spend the rest of our life following after him. And that is our response. If that's your response, we're glad you're here this morning too. But in any case, none of it is based on our reputation. these, These are negative things. The flip side is, maybe you're saying, hey, I'm pretty awesome. You know, maybe you've got a great reputation. Guess what? Jesus doesn't care. You will never be saved because of how awesome you are. You 
The number of headshots you have on call of duty is not criteria for salvation. So whether this characterizes your life or you've got everything together in your mind, that's not what we're saved based on. It is based on a response that says to Jesus, you and you alone can save me. And I'm going to trust you with my life, with my eternity. I want to challenge everybody this morning. If your response is indifference, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to challenge you to start digging in a little bit. Grab a Bible. Start reading it. Read through one of the Gospels. Mark is the shortest of the Gospel accounts. Start there. If you do not have a Bible, take one of the ones that's in the pew. Take it home. It's yours. Start reading. Start kicking the tires. If you're already kicking the tires, keep doing that. But dig a little bit deeper. Start asking some of the questions. Like, well, well what, is, what does it look like if I give my life to Jesus? What, what might my life look like? If your response to Jesus is rejection, you'd say, I don't, I don't buy the whole Jesus thing. Right? If that is your response, I would encourage you, or if your response is hostility, you say, not only do I not buy it, but I'm going to try to tear down everybody who does. Again, we're glad you're here. I would encourage you to have an honest conversation with yourself. Say, why, why do I have that stance? You might have good reason to say, no, you know what? If you, if you know what happened in my life, you might have good reasons to be upset. But I want you to have that honest conversation with yourself. To say, what am I really rejecting? Am I rejecting a, a, a false idea of who God is? He didn't measure up to my expectation, even though my expectation wasn't at all based in reality. If you're looking for something cool to watch, Andy Stanley, pastor of North Point down in Atlanta, he did a series called Who Needs God? I would encourage you to look that up on YouTube. But he talks about that, how oftentimes we're disappointed by a God who doesn't exist because we've made up some version of God that isn't based in reality. So then when he doesn't meet our need, our, our expectations, we're like, Psh, Forget that. And we write the whole thing off. So have that conversation with yourself. Why, why do you take that stance of, of rejection or hostility? If your response is acceptance, you've said, Jesus is the only one that can save me. I believe that with everything I've got. Here's my challenge to you. Who is somebody in your life who's maybe living under this? Who they would say, if you knew what I did, you wouldn't love me, Jesus wouldn't love me. Who is somebody that you need to go and be Jesus to? We're called to live like Jesus and share His love. What does that look like? Maybe it means that you have to go and you have to tell your story. Maybe you have to have that conversation and say, you know where I came from? I was here. I was here. I was here. And Jesus got a hold of me. 
and this is where I am today. You need to have that conversation with them. Because Jesus saves us based on our response to Him, not based on our reputation. So what is your response? I would be remiss if I didn't actually offer an opportunity this morning. For those of you who might, maybe you've been kicking the tires. You're like, yeah, I'm kind of checking this out. And maybe there are some here this morning who would say, you know what, I've, I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've not accepted Him as, as the one who could save me. But I would like to do that. We're going to do this a little bit different. A couple of, couple of options. First, mark it on your connection card. On, your, on the back of your connection card, there might be a box, I can't remember. Otherwise, just write it in with contact information. We would love to have a conversation with you about what it looks like to put your faith in Jesus. Option two, after the service, grab me, Pastor Ryan, JB, Pastor Patricia, grab one of us. We'd love to have a conversation. Talk about what does it look like to take that step and put your faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ. Have the worship team come up. As we get into this next song, I want you to think about it. The lyrics of this song are great. If you want to sing along, great. If you want to sit there and think about what your response to Jesus is, awesome. Do that. But over the next day, week, month, year, decade. Always come back to that. What is my response? And based on that response, what should my life look like? I'm going to pray as we get into the song. I encourage you to stand. If you want to sit, you may sit. Either option is good. Let's pray. Father God, it's not anything that we do either in a negative sense or in a positive sense. It's not based on how good we are or how bad we are. That's not why you save us. You stepped into humanity 2,000 years ago and you said, I love these people and because I love these people, I'm going to save them. Regardless of the baggage that they've got, regardless of what characterizes their life, I want to save them because I love them. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us that opportunity. Lord, regardless of where we are this morning with you, whether we are indifferent, rejection, hostility, acceptance, may you speak to us, show us what steps we need to take. Justice in your name. Amen.
At this time, we will take up the offering. Yes, you just want to come forward. Giving is a spiritual discipline. This is part of our act of worship. If you are here this morning and you'd say, you know what? I'm indifferent or rejecting or you're just kicking the tires. If that is the case, hang on to your wallet. Hang on to your money. This is an act of worship for those of us that say we are followers of Jesus. If you're a first-time guest, just sit on your wallet, even though you're standing. Just hang on to it. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. We'll pray. We're going to do one more song. Jesus came to save us, and we just want to praise his name. Father God, again, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you this morning. We ask that you would receive what we give back to you. That you bless it. We ask in your name. Amen. Church, as we leave, go out and be radiant, eh? Eh? That's right. <laughs> Have a great week. We will see you next week. Tonight, 6th grade through 12th grade, here at church, 5 to 7. It'll be a good time. All right. See you later. <laughs>